You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome, and thank you for joining us again for another Lozano Smith podcast. I'm your host, Sloan Simmons, a partner out of Lozano Smith Sacramento office, one of our firm's co-practice group leaders in litigation. And I'm really lucky, and I say that with all sincerity, to be joined today by Dan Marucci and Harold Freeman. Dan and Harold combined, we're, I think we're looking at 50 plus years of, of practical experience. Um, it's not that funny, Dan. This is serious. Um, and, and in particular, on a subject like what that, which we're going to cover today, is going to be really valuable. But Dan, one of our firm's co-practice group leaders in public finance, a longtime facilities and business attorney, um, and, and really at the forefront of public finance issues in the state of California for public entities at this point in his career. Harold Freeman, um, for years, a jack of all trades, but, but really widely known throughout the state for his expertise in facilities and business, including public finance. But uh, we can go board governance or student issues, you name it. There isn't anything that Harold hasn't had his hand on in ed law over the last 30 years. So gentlemen, um, thank you for joining me today. One of you from Sacramento, one of you from Walnut Creek. How are you? Great. Thank you, Sloan. Thanks for having us. So, citizen bond oversight committees. That's our subject today. Um, clearly something far afield from anything that I normally touch. So, could you two kind of lay the groundwork and provide us an overview of what a CBOC is and why it exists? Okay, great. Um, I'll start. Uh, the a Citizens Bond Oversight Committee, sometimes just called the Citizens Oversight Committee, is is a creation of Proposition Thirty Nine, um, which is uh, has been around for a long time. It's fairly long in the tooth by now. Proposition Thirty Nine was an initiative measure back and approved by the the voters statewide in two thousand. Um, a, a the main purpose of a Citizens Oversight Committee or a Bond Oversight Committee. Um, is to fulfill the promise of the school district um, that is uh, issuing bonds, that the proceeds of those bonds are going to be used for the purposes that the school district said they were going to be used for. Um, but really simply, uh, a bond oversight committee is a sort of a watchdog committee to ensure that the funds are appropriately spent appropriate vis-a-vis what the bond measure said and promised that they were going to be spent for. Proposition 39 also includes a project list. And so a bond oversight committee's basic function is to review actual expenditures that the district had made with the proceeds of bonds, bond funds, and compare those expenditures with the project list that all the voters um, approved. Uh, the the composition of the committee is regular Joes and Jills, citizens. Um, we are uh, they cannot be uh, employees or vendors of the of the school district or um, or consultants of the school district. Uh, they are not attached to the school district at all. And when you think about what the function, the basic function of a bond oversight committee, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because otherwise. Um, an employee would be, you know, would, would be laboring under some sort of a conflict, 
uh, between its its duties as an employee and its loyalties to the district as an employee or an officer or a vendor or a consultant who is paid by the district and the watchdog activities that a bond oversight committee uh, needs to uh, needs to engage in. Is there requirements as to the number of members on that committee? Yeah, there is a uh, there is a minimum number of members, and and that is seven. There is no maximum number of members, um, and uh, five of the seven seats actually um, have qualifications to them. The remaining two, or however many that a school district uh, will have appointed to its bond oversight committee, um, uh, are at large. Uh, but those, but just really briefly, I'll just list who it is that that uh, that is qualified to to occupy one of the I call named seats, and they are a member of a business organization representing the business community located within the district's boundaries. Makes sense, right? Um, a senior citizens organization member, um, a parent or guardian of a child that is enrolled in the district. Okay. Um, and then similarly, but but still different, a parent uh, or guardian of a child that is enrolled in the district and who is a member of a PTO. Uh, and the fifth and final is a member of a bona fide taxpayers organization, such as Caltax or uh, Howard Jarvis. Uh, there are many locally based taxpayers organizations up and down the state. Um, the one that you choose from doesn't have to be Either or, you just need to have a member that is a um, an active person within the Bonafide Taxpayers Organization. Harold, I, I know not at the heart of all that you two will talk about today, but I, I assume, maybe incorrectly, that a BOC is a Brown Act committee? That's an interesting question. Um, the typical answer is yes, because it is clear from the legislation that a bond oversight committee has to comply with certain uh, public meeting requirements and uh, making themselves open. There is a bit of a lingering question that Dan and I often, as recently as yesterday, have debates about uh, regarding whether the way that the legislation is written, you can make an argument that the full Brown Act doesn't have to be complied with, just elements of it. But the, really the easy answer is if you comply with the Brown Act, you are certainly complying with everything that is required of a citizen's bond oversight committee. Um, in certain instances, for example, a CBOC is unlikely to go into a closed session. Um, a CBOC is going to be focused more on the basic elements of the Brown Act, uh, open meetings, agendas, uh, allowing members of the public to observe, to comment, taking any actions that are taken in public. So the answer is generally yes, although there's a little bit of a, a technical twist to it. Um, and if I, I can also just add as well, you know, we're talking a lot about the mechanics of CBOCs today. The other thing just to be aware of is like so much legislation that's out there, this legislation resulted from a political compromise that I think is worth mentioning, which is that bonds had to be approved by two thirds of an electorate to pass before Prop 39 went into effect. Uh, and two-thirds, 66.666%. Uh, it was remarkable statistically how many school districts, community college districts, would miss that mark by a percent or half a percent. 
And the compromise that was reached was that Prop 39 allows you to pass the bond with a 55% majority vote. But the trade-off for that is greater community oversight. And that's really what the CBOC is for. The Bond Oversight Committee is to give that extra degree of oversight that is the exchange for going out for a 55% bond. You still legally can go out for a two-thirds majority bond and not have to have a Bond Oversight Committee but for obvious reasons, typically it's a Prop 39 bond that public agencies pursue. The beauty of compromise. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the, the impact was, was really, really significant, too. The, uh, the success rate of, of school district general obligation bond measures really flipped. It reversed. It was something like 70-30 to the, to the bad yep. before Prop 39. And that became up until the two the twenty twenty election pretty consistently at at seventy thirty to the good or even eighty twenty. So Harold, looking at the value of of BOCs under that that two thousand that Prop two thirty nine initiative from two thousand, can we talk a little bit about what within their role uh, they do and what they can't do or don't do? Yeah, and that's a good question, Sloan. And a lot of the questions that we field from the various public agencies we work with, the school districts, community college districts, you've you've hit on the hot topic because it's important for these groups to understand when they come together what their roles and their responsibilities are. And um, I'll I'll make just a couple observations and then turn it over to Dan, I think, to talk a little bit more about um, one of the things we often talk about is mission creep. And the point that I just make up front is that the common mistake we see is you form the CBOC and you tell them you're off and running. You have the green light, go forth and do what you're going to do with little training as to what that consists of. Um, So for example, to the extent Brown Act compliance may be required, it's very helpful for this group of citizens to get some basic training on open meeting laws. Um, Similarly, it's important for this committee to understand here is statutorily what has been given to you to do as in your oversight role. Uh, and here's really what has not been. And I'll mention one thing that hasn't been and then turn it over to Dan, which is that years ago in 2008, there was a piece of legislation proposed that would have made citizens bond oversight committees be part of the actual construction program process. They would have been consulted before bidding out a project. They would have been consulted before contracts were awarded. And the legislature, I think, wisely did not pass that proposed legislation, and it has not come back since, because it is not the role of this non-expert group of people to explain to expert district staff and consultants essentially how to do their job. Rather, it's to oversee how it is that they are doing their job. And I'll turn it over to Dan for some thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think the, the, the way that that has always hit home for me and, and when um, I give an orientation uh, training to new bond oversight committees, uh, which we do as a, as a, uh, in, in the regular course of our services when we are bond council on our new, our new general obligation bond measure is to is to point out that you know that the, the temporal dividing line um, that is inherent in the scope of the duties and activities of a bond oversight committee and that is this 
the bond oversight committee's view is retrospective. It is reviewing decisions that are entirely and exclusively within the jurisdiction of the governing board of the school district to make which projects we're going to fund or which projects we do fund, what that project looks like. Is there going to be a, a pool included in this modernization project or, or not? Um, are we going to do a, a new science wing or are we going to have a performing arts center? These are all decisions that are exclusively within the, the, the purview of the governing board. And the Bond Oversight Committee's role is to look at those decisions that have been made um, and say, yes or no, these projects, these expenditures are for projects that are on and embraced by the bond measure itself, um, which is in part you know, a contract between the voters and, and the school district. Alternatively, the, on the other side of that dividing line, that temporal dividing line, is a prospective view. And by and large, although with some, with some exceptions to this regarding recommendations that the Bond Oversight Committee may have about process and procedures and, and saving uh, money on um, on the, the, the reuse of plans and there's a there is a there is a laundry list of of things that or recommendations that a bond oversight committee may may make um, in their in you know that 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 come to mind for the bond oversight committee as they are reviewing retrospectively the decisions and the expenditures that have been made. By and large, their view is not prospective. They do not, they're not an advisory committee as such, not an advisory committee to the governing board anyways. They're, they are reporting uh, their, the, the findings of their, for lack of a better word, audit of what the, what the school district uh, has, has done and what the school district or what projects the school district has, has spent bond funds on. And one way I've seen this described, which I think is apt for the three of us, because I think we're all baseball fans, is that the job of the committee is the job of an umpire. They call balls. They call strikes. They don't decide which pitch is going to be thrown. They don't decide the rules of the game. They don't decide whether it was a, a good idea or a bad idea to wear the alternative city uniforms that day. They simply are saying, yes, this is money is being used the way that the voters were told it was going to be used, or they're being told it's not. And if you read the actual legislation on all of this, which is found in the Education Code at sections 15, 280, and the following sections, you'll see the language over and over again that the role of the committee is to inform the public, to advise the public. That's really, it's just to announce to the crowd, yes, it was a strike, or it was a foul, or it was a ball. In other words, Harold, sticking with the baseball analogy, the committee doesn't have the ability to overturn a call on instant replay, only to say whether or not it was a ball or a strike. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, 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 I, I agree with that. Um, uh, but uh, the... But in its um, in its function, its necessary function of reporting to the public its findings that may result in um, a uh, a bond waste action, um, which is uh, the authority for which immediately follows uh, the, the the bond oversight committee 
uh, statutory authority in the education code. So it may it may yield that. But yes, you're right. Um, the bond oversight committee has no you know ability to to to, to stop an expenditure again. Where, what what the bond oversight committee receives is an accounting of expenditures that have already that that have already occurred. So they're not participating in the in in the the decision making process over those expenditures. They're reviewing those expenditures and saying and calling balls and strikes. So the, the mechanism for ultimate enforcement, if you disagree with what a district has done with his bond funds, is an action in court to enforce, um, in essence, a taxpayer suit for waste of public funds. Yes, and that's that's not that's not an ex, it's. Uh, the, a bond oversight committee or any member thereof doesn't have exclusive jurisdiction over that. I don't want right. to, or, or exclusive standing. Anyone to, can do to, it. Yeah, anybody can do that, and that's that's always that's that would be the case regardless of whether or not there was a bond oversight committee. Um, Before I ask mm-hmm. you guys some questions about some of the challenges you guys see on a day to day with with the committees, Harold, returning to Mission Creep, just one thing that popped into mind for me. I think you guys said that an, an oversight committee, a, a, a BOC is independent of the district. It's its own entity. So if a best practice ideally is that these committees understand um, the rules of public meetings and, you know, in theory, adoption of bylaws, et cetera, what role, if any, does a school district have or a community college district have in assisting the committee in receiving that training and understanding those best practices? Yes, Sloan, that's actually addressed to some extent in the relevant uh, legislation, because what that talks about is that it's the responsibility of the school district, the community college district, to provide technical and administrative assistance to the committee. The committee is not going to have its own staff. It's not going to generally have its own independent legal counsel. Um, That will all flow through the school district or through the public agency, and the interesting part of the legislation is that for those administrative and technical services, the entity is not allowed to use the bond funds, which often becomes an interesting question because some committees want more uh, administrative support than others. And part of the training is actually to help them understand that that comes out of the school district's general fund. That's potentially taking away books from kids Uh, whereas they might think that it's covered by the bond. But um, we will often get brought in and early on with a citizen's bond oversight committee or sometimes for a well-established one that may be experiencing submission creep to do this type of training for them to to help them understand what their roles are. Uh, District staff is going to be the ones that are bringing forth the appropriate uh, materials, the raw materials, the data that's needed. Um, It all flows through those public agencies. And not surprisingly, often the CBOC doesn't necessarily meet that frequently. You know, maybe several times a year because it's really just the receipt and the review of that data. Um, Those that get even more involved um, can again lead to that mission creep issue. And it is worth noting that about a decade ago in Contra Costa County, a grand jury actually looked at that issue and concluded that there were bond oversight committees in the county that were in fact going beyond their role 
uh, and in causing school districts and community college districts to incur greater administrative costs than what were intended. And what the grand jury emphasized is exactly what Dan said, is that it's the role of these entities to think about things after the fact and review them after they happened and report on the findings. It's not to determine how bond money should be spent, where it should be spent, what construction delivery method is, is out there. That doesn't mean that you can't talk to a bond oversight committee and get their ideas on ways to save costs. And there are districts that do that more actively than others. Um, but ultimately, again, it's back to that umpiring role of, of calling balls and strikes. And it's the job of the public agency to provide the uniforms, um, buy pizza for the, the dinner meeting if needed, if people are coming during dinner time to take care of the sort of day-to-day -day operations of the committee. Send out agendas, prepare the agendas, you know, call the members, get them all in the room. Um, yes, and, and as Harold points out, um, the the statutory there is a statutory obligation for the for the school district to provide these this administrative support, um, uh, so that the the bond oversight committee can focus on its its main function. Maybe neither here nor there is that is has that been determined to be a mandated cost? Being a former ledge council deputy. Um, I would, I, I don't know the answer to that. My guess is no. Um, my guess is that, uh, well, first, first of all, this was an initiative measure, right? Not the legislature. This was an initiative measure. So right away, um, I would guess that it's, it's probably not a state mandated local program because it's not the legislature that imposed this on them. Secondly, no school district is required to, put a Prop 39 bond measure on the ballot. Uh, so they're doing that to themselves. Yep. And all the conditions that come along with that are probably, I would imagine the Legislative Council would also say that due to that factor alone, this is not a state-mandated local program. So that being said, gentlemen, what are some of the common questions or issues, challenges that you two see on a day-to-day -day with our clients when it comes to CBOCs? Well, I think we've been we've been talking about you know the, the the general you know idea of mission creep and for and I think it's it, I think we should also acknowledge um, that uh, these are volunteers and they are doing a very important service uh, without whom the the school district could not fulfill the promise that it has made to its voters specifically to form a bond oversight committee. Um, some of some of those mission creep as we as we you know issues that come up uh, and questions that that we get include you know is there any ability to participate in the in the bond sale process right and uh, you know to me I, I I want to say of course the answer is no but but I think you know in 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 the light of the fact that we do see these questions over and over again it's not it's really not obvious. Um, whether that's whether that's the case, and certainly is going to be much less obvious in the absence of a proper training and, and orientation of the of the uh, the committee members. Um, we talked about this. There's no de authority to determine how bonds bond funds are going to be spent. Um, uh, we no ability to uh, to select contractors, things like that. And then you get into some of the more, you know, nitty gritty issues around 
vacancies and, and who's qualified. Uh, because as a practical matter, um, once again, these are volunteers. And though uh, school districts um, enjoy, you know, a lot of community support in many, in many you know, regions of the state, um, sometimes it's it, it, the requirement of, to have a bond oversight committee is from from place to place can be, you know, an un, you know almost an unattainable burden. Um, and I'm and I'm thinking of some some clients that that I work with that are in you know pretty far away from urban centers um, that that have and spread far apart that have difficulty to to get folks to to volunteer for this service. So we get a lot of questions about about vacancies. Um, a couple of a couple of questions that have come up for us. Um, what if we don't have a fully seated committee? Is that going to stop me from issuing bonds? Is that going to stop me from spending bond proceeds? And what I always say um, is that these are volunteers and the school district does not have, or the community college district does not have the power to conscript anybody's service, right? And in light of the fact that the view of the bond oversight committee is again, retrospective, then it, although the, leg, the legislature has not said so, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to come to the conclusion that we're not going to be able to sell bonds. You know, those are those are two separate processes. Yes, the result of the sale of bonds is going to be bond funds, and the expenditure of those bond funds is something that down the road the Bond Oversight Committee is going to be looking at, but the Bond Oversight Committee doesn't have any authority or, or, or place, really, in the discussion of you know, when bonds should be sold. I mean, these are, these are questions, and at what size and at what rates, these are questions that school districts are benefited you know, by you know, the advice and counsel of a financial advisor, bond counsel, uh, their, their own you know, finance staff. Um, so no on that. Spending bond funds similarly, um, no, and I think that goes back to the we, we don't have the power to conscript. And so I think of the competing, you know, interests of the public versus the interest of the public. The public has authorized the sale of the bonds for these particular purposes. Right. The public also has an interest in making sure that the district is spending the money in accordance with the bond, what the bond measure said. Uh, but in the absence of of folks willing to participate in a bond oversight committee, that absence can't thwart the public's interest in making sure that the that the projects get done simply because we can't drag folks into a bond oversight committee meeting. So Dan, if you're one of these smaller districts in a geographically isolated region, you're you're concerned about filling that board, can you have one individual uh, fill one or more of those required roles that need to be on the committee? And what are the rules as to residency or age? What are some of the factors that come into play on who can or who's eligible to, to, to sit on the, the BOC? All right. So first of all, um, there the, the, the legislature didn't, uh, it doesn't answer a lot of these questions. Um, so we apply some rules of reason. Fortunately, um, most bond council um, and most school districts um, kind of march in the same line or, you know, our, our hopes is that that's the case. Uh, but those rules of reasons are, are this. No, you can't have, you know, one person filling both seats. That seems to thwart what the, what the people were after. 
um, when it required that you have one person that has this expertise, one person coming from this perspective, one person that is a parent or guardian of a child. I mean, you're you're really to me you're you're thwarting the spirit of what it was, right? Uh, so so no, I don't think that you can have a person occupying multiple seats at the same time. I get that question a lot. My answer is consistent: no. Um, residency requirements, age requirements. Once again, the legislature or the people have been silent on this. Um, as far as a residency requirement, my 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 thinking on that is based on some of the the qualifications for the named seats. If if the people or the legislature wanted to say that a person had to be a resident of the district, then it would have done so. Instead, it gave us qualifications of, take, for example, the, uh, the, 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 the business representative, the business organization representative. What does it say? It says that it, it talks about the location of the organization as opposed to the person that is representing or coming from the organization. Could have very easily said that the person needed to be a resident. It didn't. Um, and so I'm quite comfortable saying that there is no residency requirement for that or any of the seats, right? Of course, by implication, it's very likely that uh, the parent or guardian is going to be a resident because otherwise they wouldn't be able to send their, their children there, except if there was, you know, an, an employment, you know, or an inter-district transfer or something like that. Uh, the age requirement even fuzzier than the other, and I'm, I'm, uh, but it seems to me that it's just good practice that bond oversight committee members as officers, um, because I think that's what they are, they become public officers when they enter into this service, um, is at least beyond the age of minority, right? That they're at least 18 years old. Which is a shame because there's a lot of 14-year-olds clamoring to be on the BOC. <laughs> Harold, what are some, some other issues that, that you see frequently? You know, one, one interesting issue that comes up um, from time to time is that when you have a CBOC in your ideal world, you would have one body, one committee with consistent membership from birth to death of the bond measure, from the time the spending starts to the time the spending stops. The way that the law was written up until roughly 10 years ago, what it said was that committee members could only have two consecutive terms on a committee. And it also talked about a minimum of two years for those two terms. And so a lot of people interpreted that, I think, a little narrowly and basically said, we can only have somebody be on our committee for four consecutive years, two two-year terms. But... There's actually more flexibility than that built into the code because, first of all, about 10 years ago, they changed the law. So now you can have three consecutive terms. So if you have two-year terms, you now have somebody who gets up to six years. But the language of the statute itself is interesting because Education Code Section 15282 says that the seven members or more serve for, quote, a minimum of two years, end quote, and then it goes on to say for no more than three consecutive terms. On its face, a minimum of two years would allow you to instead have a three-year term if you wanted or a four-year term if you wanted. So increasingly in recent years, I've talked to districts about instead of having two-year terms, have three-year terms. If you have three consecutive three-year terms, which gives you nine years, 
more often than not, that's going to spend down the bond program. That's going to get you from the beginning to the end. Um, it's also worth noting, because this question comes up sometimes, for those who have nevertheless imposed on themselves two-year limits, uh, what happens if the bond measure does go on, if expenditures go beyond the, the total time period? It's important to recognize that the statute talks about consecutive terms. So we have had situations where bond oversight committees have appointed people who had previously been on the CBOC go off for some period of time and then come back again, again because that is not consecutive terms. And, and we had this very specific situation come up a couple of years ago where a great CBOC member had to leave the committee for some personal reasons, uh, asked to came, come back, and the suggestion was, well, you've sort of timed out because of the number of years. By the strict language of the statute, they were not coming back for a consecutive term, and they were put back on that committee. Now, what about as we talk about terms and and how long members can can be there? What if we, what if you have multiple bond measures? What are we doing there? Yeah, so I think it's entirely uh, fine. Let's I'll give you the example. Um, it's it's it would it wouldn't be common, although it's possible to have a school district order multiple bond measures that would appear on the same ballot. But the more likely scenario is that you've got. You know, you've got an existing bond measure, maybe with some authority to sell bonds, you know, still not 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 sold yet. So you've got some remaining authority uh, and or you're still spending those bond proceeds. So you've you've got your earlier Prop 39 bond measure for which you have set up a bond oversight committee. But you're going to be running out of that money pretty soon and you got a lot of projects left to do. So you go back to the voters and you've got a brand new bond measure, and it's Prop 39 bond measure. Well, you need to have a bond oversight committee for that bond measure, too. Your question, I think, is, is it okay, which is which would be music to the ears of, of many of our clients, is it okay to have the existing bond oversight committee serve as the bond oversight committee for the for the for the for the future one or in the event that that one is seems simple enough to me. Uh, yeah, j- largely it is. Um, largely it is. So we have, and I'll tell you why, you know, to, to some extent it's not. Um, but uh, yes, you can, you can simply have the board adopt a resolution to expand the scope of the existing uh, bond measure or consolidate uh, two bond measure, two, two bond oversight committees. If you have two bond oversight committees, then you decide, well, Boy, I mean, yeah, just just filling the seats on one of these was was tough enough. Um, I regret that decision. <laughs> let's let's see if we can consolidate these. You can do that. I think right. I think the the important thing um, and what meets uh, the the intention of the people when it when it approved Prop Thirty Nine is that that there are, that there is a group of folks that are reviewing the expenditures of the. Of, of the district in order to make sure that it's done consistent with the constitution, with the statute, and most importantly, the measure itself. Are they fulfilling that promise? Are they, are they spending it on projects that don't appear on the, on the project list or not? Um, the one little wrinkle in that um, might be something that we've already talked about, and that's the built-in term limits, right? So if you've got, if you've got existing, if you've got an existing bond oversight committee, um, but by, you know, by virtue of the term limits, uh, 
um, that apply to those members, uh, simply consolidating that bond, you know, bond uh, oversight committee, um, or or changing the name as as though it was a you know a going out of sale mattress you know mattress uh, store um, might not do the trick um, because again I, I might think that the spirit of the law would would is going to require some kind of turnover on those on those voices and seats so that would be a little bit of wrinkle but but we have certainly consolidated bond oversight committees um, before and. Um, I think it's a I think it's a nifty and elegant way to to make things a little bit easier for this for the school district to fulfill its its promise and engage the the community um, in the process of spending bond funds. So for either of you, I assume. Well, I've got two question, questions. One, and um, maybe there isn't a consistent answer to this. How long, on average, or does it take? For a district to go through those bond f- funds, and I suppose that may depend on the size of the bond, et cetera. But and, and then in relation to that, mm-hmm. when those bond funds are done, yeah, which I assume means we don't need that committee anymore. What happens then? You no, know, easier first. You, okay. you, you assume right. Um, uh, but so as it it is impossible to forecast how long a bond program is going to be. And the reason for that is that we have no control over the market and we have we have no control over the municipal debt market. And we also have no control over the uh, over the residential market or the real estate market. These are these bonds are the it's debt. That debt is serviced by paid back with property taxes. Right. So. Um, the the basic plan uh, that most financial advisors recommend is three issuances um, out of out of the, the the total authority that the voters that the voters give on the bond measure three issuances spaced two years apart. That's the basic plan. But as we saw back in two thousand eight two thousand nine, where residential values pancaked right. Um, there, there was no more room in um, in the tax base to issue any more debt at that time, and so those school districts had one of two choices: wait it out, right? Thus answering your question, right? We don't, and the answer being, we don't know. We can't forecast how long it would take to issue all the bonds, or do a new bond measure. Um, and then, so the, the second question that you asked was, you know, what happens when, you know, when all the bond funds are, are done? Um, well, going back to what the, what the function of the, of the Bond Oversight Committee is, the Bond Oversight Committee's function is to review expenditures and say yay or nay as to whether or not these are, you know, appropriate expenditures. Um, if there are no more bond funds to be expended and thus nothing more to review, then uh, the, the, their duty has been discharged and it, it just it just goes away. I like a little bit of a cleaner thing, but it's not necessary to disband it. Is it, it uh, well, some boards pass a resolution in essence, uh, memorializing the, the, the end of that committee. Uh, I have seen it rarely. I think it's good. Uh, I think it's good housekeeping, but it's uh, far, far, far from from necessary to do that. 
I'd ask either of you if you have any closing thoughts, perhaps anything we haven't covered. This has been a very instructive primer on the CBOCs uh, under California law. I mean, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have too, but closing thoughts from either of you? Um, if I can, you know, the we've talked about a lot of technical issues today. There's also political and practical uh, issues that come around with these committees. So I think my closing comment would be is everything we've said is based on what the code says and what the law is. Sometimes you have to take into account what your community wants, uh, what their preferences are. You know, coming up with, uh, I mentioned, for example, the possibility of having three-year terms instead of two-year terms. Politically, that might not fly in some locations. Uh, another example would be uh, when you are as Dan had talked about, bringing somebody in potentially to be on your committee who may run a business in your boundaries but live outside the boundaries, there could be political pushback against that as well. And so for all of this, it's important for school boards, for administrators to be thinking about appearances. Um, Another example would be if you have a vacancy and you're having trouble filling it, at least document that you're trying at least document the efforts that you're making so that you can explain to people or even potentially to a reviewing court, we are making our best efforts legitimately to do this exactly as the code says we must, but we've been unable to fill a particular vacancy. So I would just encourage people, think of these issues three-dimensionally. You have to think of the one dimension as what does the law require? What is the minimum we need to do? Two, you need to think about politically what's going to fly in the community And then that third dimension of just practicality, you know, how can we make these work in the way that is the most efficient for everybody involved? Those are great thoughts, Harold. Dan? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I I hate to to step on that uh, summation, um, but... You don't have to, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a last word hog. Uh, Bottom line, most most of what we discussed today um, can can uh, is is typically captured in in any you know appropriate and um, well put together training. Um, so uh, and and we find that you know good good training directly to the bond oversight committee members um, is going to both be a benefit to to them and so that they can discharge their duty. They know what it is that they're doing. They. They know what it is that they're looking at. Um, they know where the where the guardrails are, what is what is within scope and what is without scope, um, and also as a benefit um, uh, to to staff as well, um, that to gain a better understanding of what the function um, um, is. Uh, so uh, that that is something that you know we do, and um, our clients um, seem to enjoy. Uh, some of those benefits. Harold, Dan, thank you for sharing your expertise today. This has been a great conversation, uh, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it it, as much as I have. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another Lozano Smith podcast. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com forward slash podcast to find links and additional details on some of the topics we talked about today, as well as any of our prior podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks, everybody. 
any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.